We always do enjoy hearing from our listeners. And we have some text messages to look at. Let's mm-hmm. see here. Uh, this one says, do canned legumes still retain their goodness? Probably got that one a little bit too late to put it, run it past Camilla, but we will run that past Camilla and find out what she has to say on that subject. Then we have another one here. We've got a couple of text messages. Okay, interesting statistics on the growth of religion. The Bible actually alludes that false Christianity will, in fact, become the biggest religion in the last days. I'm going to disagree with that in just a moment. That's Mm -hmm. right. Don't forget that Satan will impersonate Christ before the second coming, and the great majority of the world, including including atheists, believe in what they see. That includes Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, and the rest. This will happen much sooner than we expect. Okay, so here's where I'm going to disagree. And it's a very slight disagreement. I'm going to split hairs for a moment. <laughs> I'm going to say, and the text here is welcome to refute me with passage from the Bible, I'm going to say that the Bible alludes to Christianity becoming the most influential mm. rather than the biggest. That's true. I actually I would agree with that too. But there may be a verse out there that I'm unfamiliar with, and so if there is, then let us know what it is. But there's no question yeah. that Christianity will dominate the world mm. uh, policy-wise before Jesus comes back. Because it makes the point, right, that you've got, like, this is in Revelation. Yes, uh, Revelation 13. It, but even further in the further books of Revelation where it says, like, there's the great harlot, right? Depends how you define Christianity, too, because the Bible says all the world will wonder after the beast. Mm. Oh now, now and, and and the beast is definitely Christian. Yes. In yes, nature. Yes. So if you're going to define Christians as anybody who receives the mark either, who includes yeah. those who receive the mark in the hand, if you're going to include those as Christians, in then yeah, that would be correct. But it like this is this is my th- thoughts, right? In Revelation you've got the harlot. Yes. And that's another representation of the beast, another representation of yes. this end time antichrist power. But then it says that you've got the daughters of the harlots. Yes. Which isn't the harlot, no. but are the people that uphold the values of the harlot. Yes. And for me, how I see it anyway is like, yes, of course, the harlot is going to be a big Christian power who is, yes. you know, impersonating the uh, religion of Jesus. But the daughters of the harlot can be anyone, any religion, any church who upholds the values of the harlot itself. And so if you've got this big influential religion that is influencing the rest of the religions and the rest of the religions are just doing what the big influential religion is telling them to do anyway, then they don't even need to be Christian. Oh, we would love to hear your thoughts on this one. Yeah. Text us through. Send us a message. What are your thoughts on this one? Mm-hmm. Will Christianity be the la- will it be the biggest religion when God comes back or will it not be the biggest religion? Mm. Are the daughters, do they include other religions other than Christianity or... Are they specifically Christian religions? And this is where I would say yes, at least legislatively, because this is the point is that the big religion, which we're saying is false Christianity, is going to legislatively enforce the mark of the beast. Yes, that's and right. Everyone, everyone will follow after it. Yes. And so I'm like, oh, well, that would include other religions. Uh-huh. It will include no question about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, and this is why the Bible says that the mark of the beast is received either in the forehead or in the hand. Mm-hmm. In the forehead is when you actually you, you believe in it, you've made a moral decision because that's where moral decisions are made is in the forehead. Uh-huh. And so you can make a moral decision to to follow the beast. Mm-hmm. And that would be somebody who would be coming from a Christian background. Mm-hmm. 
false Christian background, mm-hmm. uh, and that we would count as a Christian. But then the Bible says a lot of other people will receive it in their hand, and those are people who receive it out of convenience, out of works. It's mm-hmm. a works-based kind of, because the Bible talks about the hand as being a symbol of works. And so you're going to get all of your non-Christian religions that receive the mark of the beast, you know, those that do receive the mark of the beast, in their hand, not because they've made a moral decision to receive the mark, but because it is a, an issue of convenience. Yes. Do we count them as Christians because they are paying allegiance to the Christian organization that has enforced the mark of the beast in the first place? Uh, okay. So is it the biggest religion or is it the most influential? We want to know your That's opinion. Oh, man. What's that Bible study? We can just talk about oh, okay, this okay, for okay, like okay, an okay. hour. <laughs> um, all right, another one here. Uh, many years ago, a story in Time magazine, question mark, Told a story about a fisherman who fell from his boat and was found in the stomach of a whale some days later alive. Oh, wow. Great story to tell your grandchildren. Mm. I'm going to add, at night, <laughs> just before they go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> like, See that lake? There could be a whale in it. <laughs> let's not have any nightmares now. But let me tell you a story. <laughs> this, will, this, will, this will soothe you off to sleep. <laughs> About the man who got <laughs> swallowed by the whale. Dude, that's intense. It is that's intense. actually, uh, yeah, because we, we were talking about it. It's, it's a break. question mark beside Time Magazine. So the person's sort of obviously scratching their memory banks to try and figure out. And if somebody can confirm that for me, uh, that would be fantastic. There is a story from the 1800s, from the whaling era, of somebody who was swallowed by a whale mm. uh, that is still hotly debated to this day. Mm, Captain Ahab. No, it wasn't no, Captain Ahab. That was a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> uh, needless to say, needless to say, there is, um, yeah, there is, it's, it's an interesting story. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, um, let's terrorize it's all our grandchildren tough. with this one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we need to get to our Bible study. Yeah. I kind of like that our first text message kind of led us to a impromptu Bible study on the Mark of the Beast. Yeah, that's cool. So, um, but, yeah, come on, send your, send your messages through. Christianity, the biggest or the most influential? Mm. And uh, by receiving the Mark of the Beast and the Beast being Christian, does that make you Christian? Mm. I mean, obviously, it doesn't make you a follower of Christ. It makes you a follower of the beast. Yeah, Maybe it makes you a beastian uh, rather than I, a Christian. I would say, I would personally, I would say no. But you know, <laughs> oh, we would, hey, we would, we would love you to split hairs this morning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We would love you to split hairs. We hey, need to go to our Bible study. Just before yes. we start our Bible, Bible study. Yes. Just before we start our Bible study, I just want to give a quick shout out. I know some people are listening right now. Some of my Japanese friends, shout out Masa-san uh, for listening in. It's really cool. Yeah, I'm I'm really blessed to go to a, a university full of all different kinds of people. You are, and um, yeah. I, I've gotten to know this. In fact, I want to come and join your church. I think. Because yeah, I, I miss that. I come from Sydney, and yeah. this is like this. This is my crowd. Yeah. Everybody from every nationality. Well, we're really blessed to have a, a Japanese family. Uh, their son is a uni student at the at the uni, but their par- his parents come along too because they live here. And he, his dad, in particular, uh, works in the coal mining industry, doing some consulting and whatnot for them. So yeah, shout out Masasan who listens every morning. Fantastic. There you go. All right, let's uh, go to our Bible study. Why could only someone equal with God? Ransom our souls. Ooh. Okay, so why couldn't God have 
said to one of his angels, like Gabriel or somebody like that, and said, hey, look, you are a sinless being. We need the sacrifice of a sinless being to pay the price, to pay the penalty uh, for our sins. Mm-hmm. So we, 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 you head over there to planet Earth, and while you're there, then um, just die, and that'll save me having to die. And you can you can ransom all those people down there. I think there's a couple of reasons, but I think the A1 reason is that, like, this is something that we discussed last week, is that it is God who created the law that mandates that people should die as a result of sin. Therefore, it's the God is the only one who can take the penalty for it because he is the creator of it. Yes. This is something we talked about last week. With the illustration of the, of the governor. That's right. Mm. You can't order somebody else to do it. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so somebody's texted through uh-huh. with our Mark of the Beast question, uh-huh. and they've said that is correct. They agree with us. They agree with us. Christianity with the most dominant, not necessarily the most populous. Yeah. And then it's followed by a but. Oh, ooh. <laughs> I was feeling comfortable. Whenever for a it's second followed there. by a but, then you know, then you know, <laughs> here it comes. All right. But we are also told that fallen angels will impersonate the gods or saviors of other religions and will all point to Satan impersonating Jesus as the God to look to. I agree with that. I don't know that you're going to find it in the Bible. Yeah. Like, like, as in that, as specifically as that, yeah. The, like, the, this is the, I mean, yeah. Mm. This is this is this is this is what Satan does. We get that. We know that. Mm. That's rather specific. Yeah. Well, and, and he did it to Jesus himself. Like, yes. he showed up to Jesus and was like, "I am a represent representative of God." I believe that. Yeah, there will be some way that all the religions will get point back to the one false religion. Uh, but you're not going to find in the Bible the exact semantics, the exact logistics of how that happens. But that's definitely a possibility as well. Uh, but, yeah, we're going to going to see. All right. Okay, so, um, yeah, the highest angel, further text message, the highest angel in heaven is still a created being. Mm. Okay, so... Interesting observations so, right here. We'd love to. We would love to know what uh, your thoughts on this. Mm. Another text message: Christians live for Jesus, not a religion. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is this is interesting because now what we're dealing with is you've got a number of different uh, definitions for what a Christian might be. Yes. Because if you were going to talk about Christians who live for Jesus rather than Christians who say I am a Christian. Then the numbers are, are going to be vastly different from what we were talking about in the Pew Research. Yes. Pew Research is about people's profession, and a lot of people who profess to be Christian, and they'll say, Yes, I'm a Christian, but they've never been to church more than once, twice in their life, and they really have no interest or engagement with the religion at all. Mm. Whereas this person has pointed out that, okay, so now you've got kind of three different definitions you could use. The first is that. Um, anybody who pays allegiance to the beast. Mm-hmm. Well, they're paying allegiance to a Christian power, even though it's not Christian because it's the beast, mm-hmm. but a professing Christian power, so therefore are they Christians? Or is it just people who actually put their hand up and profess to be a Christian? Or is it people who have a living experimental relationship with Jesus Christ? Mm. 
So you've got three very different categories there. And, of course, that third category, none of them will receive the mark of the beast. Mm. None whatsoever. Yeah, wow. Okay, so, uh, yeah, some good comments coming through. Uh, we do appreciate hearing from you and hearing your comments here. Let's get back to our study. We were talking about, you know, earlier whether why, why someone equal with God, why it required somebody equal with God to be able to ransom our souls. Mm. And... Uh, uh, yeah, just another text message coming through, clarifying, um, not talking about the remnant. Mm. No, we understand that. Yeah, yeah. yeah we get that. The, none of the remnant are going to receive the mark of the beast. Yeah. We totally get that. Yep. Okay. Um, someone equal with God ransoming our souls. Mm. Now, this is interesting because you do find on occasions those who would claim that Jesus at one point or another, had an origin. Mm. Mm -hmm. That Jesus, at one point or another, received life from the Father. Yes. And if that is the case, then that means that the Father predated Jesus and it means that the law predated Jesus and it means that Jesus could never be our sacrifice. Yes. Because only one who is equal to the Father, and equal to the law in originating the law, mm. can give his life as a sacrifice for our sins. Yes. And the law has to be eternal because where there is no law, there is no sin. Mm. So the law then must be as equally as eternal as God. Mm. Therefore, if Jesus died for us, Jesus also must be as equally eternal as God. Yeah. Because as we, you know, we were, and you mentioned it before, we talked about this illustration last week of the governor who stepped in and took the penalty for his mother's sin, for her, for her crime. She had been caught stealing and the penalty was 40 lashes and he didn't want to see her die, but he was the one who had made the law. Mm. He could not have... You know, turned to his most trusted officer and said, "Okay, you stand in and you take it for her." Now, the trusted officer would have been forced to do so because he's under orders. He wouldn't have had any question. You know, there wouldn't be any question whether he had to or not. He would, you know, and 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 the governor has the power to do so. But would that have seen been seen to be fair? No, or just. I, I love the illustration that you used of like, because in the same way, could could have God said to Gabriel, you know, get down there and and step in. And even, you know, Gabriel could be unselfish enough um, to volunteer, to, to volunteer, like 100%. Gabriel could be like, listen, I love humanity enough that I would do this. We see people, human beings in our day, sacrifice their life for other people, um, you yes. know, particularly in, in in military situations, whatever it may be. Like people give their lives for other people. They step in uh, willingly to do so. But it's not Gabriel's responsibility. No. This is the big point is that it's not Gabriel's responsibility to enforce or to put on himself the penalty for sin. It's wholly and solely God's. Yes. And so therefore, like, he's the only one who can do it. He's yes. the only one who can step in. Um, because, yeah, if he puts anyone else in there, it's just like the, the governor under your order. That, like, that's not fair. No. It's ultimately force. Like That's right. Exactly. It's ultimately force, and force does away with love. And even even if, if Gabriel willingly accepted, there's still a level of force there. He's mm. He's 
like, because Gabriel ultimately doesn't have a choice. Um, whereas, yeah, God is making the decision of himself. He's taking personal responsibility for the law he created and for the sins of the beings he created. He's taking responsibility for that. Um, just like, you know, minors, minors who, like, commit certain crimes or end up in certain situations, like, you're, it's, it, it can be par- the parent's responsibility at times. Um, there is ultimately situations where, like, you know, people have enough autonomy to, like, a minor has enough autonomy for them to be deemed guilty of committing a crime. But there can be situations where, uh, you know, particularly a young minor, an 11-year-old commits a heinous crime, and, and that can reflect, uh, you know, um, there can be some family sit- situations or circumstances that led to that. And so it'll become the parent's responsibility, and they're the ones who will also receive punishment for it. Uh it's the same thing here, like in, in, but in a very kind of ultimate sense with God. Like mm. God ultimately takes responsibility for the for the law He's created, but also for the creation He's created as well. Which is ah, oh, isn't that a, an amazing show of how much God loves us? It is like He takes responsibility for our failures. He doesn't have to. Like He, this is something we kind of looked at last year. Yeah, it would make Him cold, but He doesn't have to. Like He's well within His right to not like. As as a god of justice, as a god of fairness, as a god who upholds like equal treatment for the rest of for all of creation, he doesn't have to, but he does. He steps in. He takes responsibility because he loves us. Oh, yeah. that's amazing. It is. It is. And and it's, and it's a level of love that we even find you know we find it hard to fathom. Mm. You know, I think we've all probably had that experience at one time or another where we've done something wrong. Yeah. Wow. And we've been let off. Mm. You know, have you ever been let off for a speeding fine? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, actually, I oh, I got done doing like twenty over driving into Newcastle one time. I was a red P. I was I was a red or green P plater, and and that's like twenty overs, like license gone for a red green P plater, and it was double demerits as well. Oh. It was just like it was everything about that oh. was bad. But oh. the police oh. officer, because I had because as a green P paletti, you have seven points, and ten yes. overs three points, uh-huh. but double demerits at six points. I had seven points on my license, and um. If I had got 20 over, then license gone. Yes. And the police officer came to me and was like, uh, listen, Lawson, you seem like a pretty reasonable person. Because I just fessed up. I was like, oh, look, sorry, I was going over. Um, da-da-da, I've got somewhere to be, but, like, I was going too fast. And he's like, look, Lawson, you seem like a reasonable person. I'm just going to give you 10 over today so that you keep your license with one point. Ooh. And you know what's so interesting? Because I had to be on two years with one point. I was such a better driver, like so <laughs> no. much more responsible because I was walking on ice. But that, that uh-huh. is the freedom. That is the freedom uh, that that police officer gave me by giving me grace in that yeah, particular yeah, yeah. situation. Absolutely. So you would have felt pretty good towards that police officer. Oh, I was like, thank you. He's like, no, I'm giving you, I'm giving you a ticket, bro. You don't have to thank me. I'm like, dude, you don't understand. Imagine if that police officer had said, look, somebody needs to cop the fine for this. I'll cop it for you. And Oof. you didn't even know the guy. Wow. That's Imagine God. how you'd feel to what that is God. That is what God did. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so we had a question that came through on the text line a little bit earlier, and the question was: Let me just pull it up here real quick. Where did it disappear to? Do canned legumes still retain their goodness? Mm-hmm. So somebody in lo- enjoys their baked beans on toast in the morning. Um, and we got in contact with Camilla to find out, and this is the answer. Okay, 
Here we um, go. Canned beans cost about three times more than dried beans. Mm-hmm. But dried beans can take hours to cook. Mm-hmm. This is the thing with dried beans. They don't actually take hours to cook. You put them in the crock pot or whatever and walk away and leave them. Mm-hmm. Okay, But you do sort of have to be... Proactive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Dried bean can serve hours. So my family splurges on canned beans, paying the extra 20 cents a serving. Nutrition-wise, cooked and canned are about the same. Mm-hmm. But the sodium, salt content of canned beans can be a hundred times that of cooked beans. Draining and rinsing canned beans can get rid of about half of the sodium, but you're also draining away uh, and rinsing away some of the nutrition and I would say also some of the flavour. <laughs> um, I recommend when buying canned beans to instead get the non-salt-added varieties to keep and use uh, or, and to keep and use the bean juice. Mm. Use the bean juice in the cooking. So there you go. Interesting. Uh, another text message coming through. Uh, okay, with peanuts, the clue to identity is in the name. Peanut. It has a typical pea flower. So we were talking earlier about how peanuts are a legume. Yes, you've got the correct answer there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just, I was just like, had to write it down. Had to write it down. Had yeah. to get it on paper. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so we were talking about that earlier. Interesting uh, interview that we had with Camilla about mm. legumes. Just stirred yes. up quite a bit of conversation here. <laughs> we'll have to see what else we have to talk about next month as we continue the conversation. Um, we also need to get back to our Bible study. Mm. I love talking about food. Now I'm hungry. But- <laughs> yeah, see, I've already had breakfast. <laughs> I never eat breakfast before radio because I always feel... My dark, brain refuses but- to work unless there is food in my stomach. Ooh, yeah, well, I just like... Because well, like, I ate last night... Yeah, so I'm just just running on that. You ate too late last night. Oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, I'm going to read a quote. It's a long quote. I'm going to read it. Okay, uh, but it's really, really good. Okay, when men and women can more fully comprehend the magnitude of the great sacrifice which was made by the Majesty of Heaven in dying in man's stead, then will the plan of salvation be magnified and reflections of Calvary will awaken tender, sacred and lively emotions in the Christian's heart. That's one sentence. Uh, Praises to God and the Lamb will be in their lips, will be in their hearts and on their lips. Pride and self-esteem cannot flourish in the hearts that keep fresh in memory the scenes of Calvary. Mm. All the riches of the world are not of sufficient value to redeem one perishing soul. Who can measure the love of Christ, the love Christ felt for a lost world as he's hung upon the cross, suffering for the sins of guilty men? This love was immeasurable, infinite. Christ has shown that his love was stronger than death. He was accomplishing man's salvation, and although he had the most fearful conflict with the powers of darkness, yet amid it all, his love grew stronger and stronger. He endured the hiding of his father's countenance until he was led to exclaim in the bitterness of soul, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His arm bought salvation. The price was paid to purchase the redemption of man when in the last soul struggle the blessed words were uttered which seemed to resound through creation. It is finished. Mm. The scenes of Calvary call for the deepest emotion. Upon this subject, 
you will be excusable if you manifest enthusiasm. That Christ, so excellent, so innocent, should suffer such a painful death, bearing the weight of the sins of the world, our thoughts and imaginations can never fully comprehend. The length, the breadth, the height, the depth of such amazing love we cannot fathom. The contemplation of the matchless depths of a Saviour's love should fill the mind and touch and melt the soul, refine and elevate the affections and completely transform the whole character. This was uh, from the pen of a lady who lived not too far from here Mm. um, back over 100 years ago. That was Ellen White and the book was Testimonies of the Church, Volume 2, page 213. Mm. Okay, so uh, just in the most amazing quote right there, I had to share that with you because it really does just help us to understand or get a glimpse of the reality of how God loves us and how mm. God cares for us and what that should awaken, in, what that will awaken in our yes. heart when we truly understand it. I, I love how that quote wasn't given uh, necessarily in, in just a theological um, context, you know, recounting the story of Jesus just for the sake of it. But no, like she's telling people, oh, how are you going to live a, a better, more satisfied, more happy, holistic life? Like how are you not going to hold within your heart pride and contention? How are you going to have better relationships with the people r- around you? Like dwelling on Christ. And then I love how then she just gets into such detail about what he would do and the love that he has for us and dwelling on these things on these these facts of god's love like the point that she's making is that ultimately that'll have an effect on our entire life absolutely Mm. let's come back to that illustration that we had earlier of the cop who uh who let you off losing your license (laughs) yeah well and let's read romans chapter 5 verse 6 Romans mm-hmm. 5 and verse 6. And we're going to compare that experience to these passages of the Bible here. Romans 5 and verse 6. The Bible says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Okay, so when we were helpless. Mm. So when you were a really, really useless driver <laughs> and the cop is following you and thinking, this guy can't drive for beans, then he pulls you over and he doesn't just let you off, but he takes the fine for you. That's what God did for you. Mm. All right, let's continue on and let's make this a little bit deeper. Um, Verse 8. Yep. Verse 8 in Romans chapter 5, the Bible says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Okay, so this guy's like, he's doing a terrible transgression. He's doing, you know, endangering the whole community. And I'm still going to let him off, and I'm going to pay the fine for him. Mm. Now read verse 10. Verse 10, the Bible says this. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we certainly uh, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Okay, because you can't drive for beans, and because you're doing a terrible drive, job of driving, and you're breaking the law, and... Your actions have taken the life of this cop's family. Oh, I, yeah. Right? Uh-huh. He then lets you off the hook and pays the fine for you. That's what Jesus did. Wow. Mm. When we were enemies of God, when we were causing the destruction of other people around us, when we were leading others to hell. Mm. 
Wow. Jesus died for us and paid the penalty for us. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. It is now time for... Question of the day. All right, so our question of the day today is a bit, bit of an interesting one, Lyle. I'll, I'll just give it to you straight and you can go for it. In communion, in the communion service of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, um, is it open to all believing Christians? And please define believing. Define believing Christians. Yeah. Okay. So if you're not if you're not aware of it, uh, Faith FM is owned by the Seventh Day Adventist Church, and as such, um, the question this question relates specifically to our church. And yes, we have open communion in our church. If you come into our church when we are having a communion service, and you are somebody who claims to be a Christian, you are more than welcome to participate in the communion service. Now, so there's the first answer to the question. Yes. We do have open communion. You do not have to be a member of the church to participate in communion, unlike some other churches. Now, the second part of that question is really the important one, and that is, how do you define who is a Christian? The answer to that is very simple. We define who is a Christian in the same way that any human being does. A human being defines who a Christian is by a person's Profession, mm-hmm. because there is no other way of defining who is a Christian and who is not. And the reason being is because we can't read a person's heart. We might see behaviors in their life and say, well, those are not Christian behaviors, but we can't read their heart. We don't know their background. We don't know where they've come from. We don't know their personal convictions. We know none of that, and so therefore we cannot judge who is a Christian and who is not. You cannot sit up the back of the church and have that conversation with your friend when the sermon gets boring and say, oh, that one's a wheat, that one's a tear, that one's a wheat. That one's... <laughs> you can't do that. Okay? That's impossible. The Bible teaches that the church that is made up of people who are saved is actually invisible to us. Now, this is what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. Here it comes. The Lord knows those that are his, and let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. God knows those who belong to him. Nobody else does. In fact, if you go over to the parable that you find in Matthew chapter 22, the parable of the wedding feast, uh, the Bible tells a story about how, you know, this person gets together a wedding and he prepares the wedding banquet and he cooks all of the food and all of his guests make light of it. One went to his farm, another to his merchandise. Uh, verse 6, the remnant took his, certain, his, his servants and treated them spitefully and killed some of them. When the king heard this, he was angry and sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers and burnt their city and said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but where are those those that were bidden or invited are not, not worthy? Go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite them to the marriage. So the servants went into the highways and gathered together as many as they found, both good and bad, and the wedding was filled with guests. Notice most both good and bad. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which did not have on the wedding garment. Here's the, here's the key. The king was the only one who could actually see somebody who did not have on the wedding garment. His servants were to go out and collect everybody. 
Just gather them all in, and God was then to have a look, and he was going to do the judging and find out those that were saved and those that were lost. In other words, those that made a true profession and those that did not make a true profession. And so our job as the servants is not to find out those that are making a true profession or not. Our job is to bring people to the wedding, bring people to communion. It is God's job to decide whether they are worthy to be a part of that or not. And that's why we leave that with God. We have open communion for anybody who turns up and professes to be a follower of Christ and wants to be a part of it. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.